Father, thank you so much that you are our great God, a God who can move the mountains, a God who can make a way where there is no way. Father, your promises stand, your faithfulness is unending, your mercies are new every morning. And we, we are blessed just to be yours. Thank you for Jesus for your love and your grace. Thank you for your word. Please guide us and teach us as we dive in to your word today, Lord. Draw us closer to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I do want to highly recommend a book. You can get it on Amazon. It's less than 10 bucks. Um, and the book is called A Layman Looks at the Lord's Prayer by Philip Keller. And if you are, you oh, there you go, Lauren has read this. If you are unfamiliar with Philip Keller, he's actually a shepherd. A real life, you know, bah, out in the fields kind of shepherd. That was a terrible sheep noise. That kind of shepherd. And he wrote this amazing book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, which is absolutely brilliant. If you've never read that, I highly recommend it. So you can get that for like six bucks on Amazon. Um, well, I came across this book, a, a Layman Looks at the Lord's Prayer, and he just approached it so, so beautifully. So uh, some of the things that we're going to be talking about throughout this series are going to be drawn from that book. But if you want your socks to be blessed clean off, I highly recommend picking up A Layman Looks at the Lord's Prayer by Philip Keller. It's absolutely awesome. He goes a lot deeper. Uh, with this prayer than we're going to have time for. Um, but as we start, we look in here at Matthew. You know what? Let's read. If you have your Bibles open, Matthew chapter 6, picking up in verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, most of us did not memorize it in that version or probably whatever version is sitting in front of you. How do most of us memorize it? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Wow, I just read it. What comes after that? How could give us this day our daily bread? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. In this prayer, here in Matthew, Jesus teaches this as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And it comes on the heels of Jesus teaching his followers about not doing things for the praise of other people, including prayer. In Luke 11, 1 through 4, there's a slightly different version of this prayer. You can uh, 
flip over there real quick. If you want, you don't have to. I'll, I'll, I'll read it for you. But in Luke 11, this is how it's written down. Uh, in verse 2, it says, So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So, slightly different. Were they two different occasions? I think so. And this is why I think so. Because in Luke 11, it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So, one is part of the Sermon on the Mount. One is a response to a specific request from one of his disciples to teach them how to pray. There are those who will say that they're, they're similar or they're the same incident. That's fine. Um, I personally think they were different. Here's the point, though. Jesus is teaching us valuable and vital aspects of prayer that we can all incorporate into our lives, even if we don't pray these exact words every day. If you, if you wake up every morning and you pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Awesome. If you wake up every day and you don't pray those words specifically, that's okay too. The principles from this prayer, what we're going to learn over the next six weeks, are going to be valuable to us daily in our prayer lives. So we begin our Father. Before Jesus came to the nation of Israel, the thought of God being Father was quite uncommon, actually. In the Old Testament, God is only referred to as Father seven times, and it's always done remotely or indirectly. In other words, you never had an Old Testament prophet, say Isaiah, praying, Oh, my Father. Right? He may be referred to as the Father of Israel. But you, in the Old Testament, would never say, my father, or our father. When Jesus came, we see in the Gospels that he refers to God as father 70 times. And you should know this, there are no accidents. That's why there's so many things in the word of God that become in multiples of seven. So 70 times, 7 is the number of completeness. Why did Jesus refer to God as Father so many times? Well, it was to open the door for us to have this intimate relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is not about some distant God, right? Fathers, you have a unique relationship with your Father. Or you should. Now, some people really struggle with the idea of God as Father because they did not have a great relationship with their fathers. I'm not going to ask for a hand raising on that. But I can be honest. I can say that that's true for me. Loved my dad. Uh, he passed away a few years ago. Um, but my dad was not a warm person. He was not there a lot. And when he was there, spent more time being afraid of him 
than I did running and jumping up on his lap and asking for a hug. It's just it's the kind of relationship I had with my father. Uh, thankfully, I learned pretty early on as a follower of Christ that God was very different from my dad, so that did not hinder me uh, all that much. But for some people, it's a real struggle, isn't it? Because this idea, oh, well, I, my father, maybe your father was abusive, or maybe your father was just distant, or maybe he was angry or hateful or judgmental or harsh in some other way. And so when you think of God as father, that's what you think of, is a harsh, judgmental, distant, cold, abusive person. And that's not who God is. That's not who he is. When we think of him as our father, Jesus showed us that we can have an intimate and loving relationship with him. And that is because of his character. God's, the first aspect of his character. And there are, please get me wrong, there are three that we're going to talk about, and we're going to talk about them briefly. There is a lot more to God's character than those three things. But in how it relates to him being our father, these three are very important. First, his magnificent and unchanging love. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We also know that his love endures forever, according to Psalm 136, and that nothing can separate us from his love, Romans 8.31-39. See, I can honestly say there were times in my life where I doubted that my dad cared about me. There is no doubt in my mind whatsoever that God loves me. None. And if there are times when that is challenged for some reason, all I have to do is remember the cross. Because that's the demonstration of his love. How much does he love you? Well, so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for your sin. And that when we believe in him, we are forgiven and set free and given eternal life. That is love. And that love is unchanging. Nothing, nothing can make him love us less. And that boggles my mind, doesn't it? Anybody else? Now you can raise your hand. Right? Sometimes we do things... Or somebody else does something to us that in that moment, at least, we might love them just a little less. We probably don't say it out loud, but for the married folks, has your spouse ever done something that you're like, really? Liar! I mean, good job! You can be honest, John's not here. Sometimes our spouses make us angry. And in that moment, you remind yourself that you still love them. But, you know, all the ooey-gooey feelings might not be there at that moment. That doesn't happen with God. There's nothing we can ever do that will make him love us less than he does. That's incredible to me. Second, he's always with us. Matthew 28, 20 says, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Hebrews 13, 5. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I was having a conversation with somebody about my grandfather the other day. Who was that with? Somebody in the church. I don't remember who it was. Um, but I was having a conversation with somebody about my grandfather. And we talked about 
how uh, when my grandfather passed away, it was really difficult for us as a family to get used to because for so long, he was always the one we looked to when we needed something. He was very much the patriarch of our family. And, and so my car broke down, I called my grandpa. Uh, you, you know, we, we needed something at the house, we called my grandpa. We needed some kind of advice financially, I'd ask my grandpa. You know, just it was, we went to grandpa and then all of a sudden, grandpa was gone. And it took us years, years as a family to adjust to him not being there anymore. We never have to worry about something like that with our Father in Heaven. He's always with us. He will never forsake us. And finally, He understands us. We may struggle to understand ourselves. Romans 7.15 reminds us of that. We will struggle to understand others. But He understands us perfectly as our Creator and as the One who came in the flesh to experience life as we do. Hebrews 14, 17 through 18 says that in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that's us, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. He knows us. He knows what we're going through. He knows what it feels like to feel the things we feel. Think about that for a moment. You ever been betrayed? He knows what betrayal feels like. Stabbed in the back? You ever had rumors spread about you? You've ever had somebody lie about you? You've ever had somebody whip you? Beat you physically? You've ever had anybody treat you poorly in any way? He knows. What about temptation? He knows that. The only difference is he didn't give in, and we often do. What about good things? That's all negative. What about love? Does he know what it's like to love other people? Well, of course he does. Does he know what it's like to serve other people? Of course he does. He knows everything. What's the most amazing aspect of God being our Father? Should be another slide. Yep, sorry, up there. Is that we're his kids? 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. I want that to sink in for just a moment. He could have done it a thousand different ways to save us. He could have. He could have just not sent us to hell. He could have made us just servants in his house. He could have made us robots. He could have just made us neighbors. He could have made us friends. He could have made us distant cousins. But he doesn't do that. He adopts us as his children. Giving us the same rights and privileges as his son. That's mind-boggling to me. We're his kids. And he treats us accordingly. Our Father in heaven or which art in heaven or who is in heaven depending on the translation you have in front of you 
James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. Comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. When we think about God being in heaven, speaking of his throne, his dwelling place, we can get this idea that he is somehow separate from us, but it's not true. While God is in heaven, he is also everywhere. The word is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times, which means he's always with us, which is what we just discussed. Now, let's talk about heaven for just a moment, because the Bible describes three heavens. Three heavens. The Bible describes what is known as the terrestrial heaven. And that's what the air in the atmosphere. If you go outside, you look up, you see a cloud, that cloud's in heaven. You see a bird floating through the air. There's my bird impression. Um, that bird is flying through heaven, right? You see a plane flying through the heavens. Terrestrial heaven. It speaks of air, atmosphere. Then there's the celestial heaven. Where, uh, for the terrestrial heaven, I'm doing this just for the recording because it dawned on me that the people who listen to this later can't see that and don't have notes. Uh, Genesis 6-7, Matthew 6-26, James 5-18. The celestial heaven, space in the farthest reaches of it and all of its occupants, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, so on and so forth. Deuteronomy 4-19, Matthew 24-29. So you might see a cloud in heaven, terrestrial heaven, but the sun is also in heaven, different heaven, celestial heaven. You see the stars at night. They're in the stars in the heavens, celestial heaven. Then we have what is known of as the third heaven. And the third heaven is described in 2 Corinthians 12, 2. There's several others, but that's the big one. That is the eternal dwelling place of God. And some people think that will be our eternal dwelling place too. They're kind of wrong, right? We always talk about, oh, we need to know Jesus Christ so when we die, we can go to heaven. Well, yes and no. When we die, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. One day this will wear out. Mine has already begun. But one day this will wear out completely. It will fall over. And or well, hopefully I'm already laying down because that would be disturbing. Um, but my body will be done. Then I'll get a new body in the presence of God. I will be resurrected to new life and to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I will be immediately in the presence of God. My last breath here, the first breath I take after that will be in the presence of my Savior. And that's going to be awesome. But that's not where we'll spend eternity. Because the Bible says that God will destroy the old heavens. He will destroy the old earth. He will create a new heavens and a new earth. Then he will create a new Jerusalem wherein we will dwell forever. And that will not be in, quote unquote, heaven. It'll be heavenly. It'll be amazing. It'll be awesome. It'll be fantastic. But it won't be, quote unquote, heaven. We will live in a new earth in the New Jerusalem. It's going to be amazing. So, if you die before Jesus comes back, yes, you will go to heaven technically, but that's not our eternal home. That's, I said all of that to get to that point. So then the question becomes, why should we pray this? 
Our Father, that makes sense. We are recognizing the intimate relationship we have with a God who is unchanging in his love and his affection, his compassion, in his presence in our lives. But why do we have to talk about him being in heaven? There's a couple reasons why. One, it's a recognition of God's sovereign rule over all creation and his eternality and eternal dwelling place. His eternal nature and his eternal dwelling place. It's a recognition of that. Colossians 1, 15 through 18 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. When we pray, having an understanding of the eternal nature of God, having an understanding of the sovereignty of God is important. Because when we ask him to move mountains, when we ask him to make a way where there is no other way, we have to believe that he can do it. So understanding that is vital to our prayer lives. We need to understand that the eternal is our future. And we've talked about this just a moment ago. God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And this should offer us great relief, comfort, and hope that this is not our home. This isn't it, guys. I mean, we live in a beautiful place. Some people live elsewhere. Some people are going back to Texas. <clears throat> Leaving the gorgeous mountains of the western slope in Colorado. Oh, we live in a beautiful place. You go outside and you look at it and you go, it's gorgeous. And you want to know what? This is a dung heap compared to what's coming. And if you know how much I love the mountains, that's hard for me to say. But as beautiful as all of this is, the leaves changing color, deer running through our backyard, pretty soon snow-capped mountains. Oh, you still my heart. It's nothing compared to what's coming. Nothing. We're going to stand in front of Jesus, and at that moment, we are going to realize we have never seen anything beautiful before. And then we're going to see what he creates for us. And the Bible says that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what he has prepared for us. It is so far beyond what we can imagine. Why do we pray this? Because that's what we're looking forward to. An understanding of the future that awaits us. This is Jesus' promise. John 14, 1-4, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Now I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. And what is the way? Well, he is the way. He is the way. And then we need to have a recognition that heaven is already with us and in us. 
Luke 17, 20 through 21. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. You want to know where the kingdom of God is? Right there. It's in our hearts, in our minds, in our spirits, because the spirit of God dwells inside of us. The kingdom of God is already here. What's our job? To advance that kingdom. Not through physical means, but by taking the love that Jesus has poured into our lives to the people out there who need to hear it. Philip Keller said in that book I recommended, Seek to know God as your Father here. Let heaven begin now in this life. And we can. As much as we look forward to eternity, it's already here because Jesus is already here. Eternal life isn't something we will get one day when this life is over. Eternal life is something that we have now in Jesus Christ. When this body dies, that eternal life will simply continue in a new body. One that doesn't hurt. That I think that's, besides seeing Jesus face to face, which is going to be the best part, there's going to come a day where I'll be able to stand up and nothing will crack. That's going to be awesome. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The idea of name here is very different for us. It's beyond a title, right? You know my name, Jason. But if you go, I don't know, go somewhere. Say you get pulled over by a cop. Best story I can think of. You get pulled over by a cop. Cop goes, can I see your, you know, your, your ID or your license and registration, please? And you hand it and go, by the way. I know Jason. Cobb will be like, and? What? My name doesn't have any weight to it. Not, not in that case. It, some other places you might say, oh, I know, I know Jason from New Song. And you might go, yeah. But that's not what name is getting at here. It's referring to not just a title, but the person, power, authority, character, and reputation of God. See, even in the Bible, we have the I am or the, I, the becoming one, or we have Yahweh or Jehovah, and, and even that's not enough. What Jesus is teaching us when we talk about hallowed be your name is that we could literally pray, Father, may your person, your identity, your character, your reputation, your very being be honored in my life. So that's name. Well, what about the word Hallowed. This is a word that we don't use very often. Unless we're praying this prayer, I don't know that I've ever used it in a sentence. It's connected to the word holy, which means set apart, special, sound, healthy, or whole. And when we hallow God's name, we are asking his name to be set apart as something special in our lives. No contamination. Nothing in our lives debasing or defaming the name of God. So think back to Isaiah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, 
When Isaiah was confronted with the holiness of God, he recognized his own unholiness, and he sought the cleansing of his own sin to, be pres- to even be in the presence of God. Now, unfortunately, God's name is not revered this way in our world anymore, is it? Sometimes it's not even revered this way in the church. His name must be hallowed in at least three places. First, in the whole world, we're referring back to Isaiah 6, because Isaiah 6, 3 tells us that the whole world is filled with his glory. The whole world. doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing. His name should be honored, too. In his sanctuary, which is the church. And I'm not just talking about inside this building. We're going to get to us as individuals here in like three seconds. But I'm talking about the church as a whole, the big C church. Isaiah 6, 1 and 4 describes his holiness in the temple. And then in each of us as individuals. 1 Corinthians 10.31 reminds us to do everything for God's glory. In Isaiah 6, 5 and 6, Isaiah is made holy before God. As Christians, we bear his name. And therefore, if we claim to be a child of God, we should live like it. Since we claim the name of Christ... His name is bestowed on us, and our lives should then reflect his name, his reputation, his person, and his character in all we do. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Philip Keller suggested that we could pray it this way every day. Father, your reputation is at stake in me today. May I live in such a way as to do your person great credit. Because of my behavior, may others see you in me and so honor your name because of it. I actually took that, and I think it's in your, I think it's in your notes. Um, and I wrote it on a sticky note, and it's stuck to the monitor of the computer I don't use sitting in my office because it just it just struck me so powerfully that I want to live my life in such a way that God gets credit that when others see the way that I live when they see my behavior my actions when they hear me speak that all they see is him and then they honor him because of it now I would love to say that I do that every day. I already know I don't. I already know that I fall short. But it's something that I would really like to do better with. And again, only by the power of God's Spirit is that even remotely possible. But that should be our desire. As we close... Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. There's so much in the opening lines of the prayer our Savior taught us to pray. We could spend a lot more time. We really could. We could spend the rest of our lives contemplating the fact that God is our Father. Contemplating eternity 
or contemplating just how holy he is and never scratch the surface. We, just, we are simply incapable of understanding the depths of this. But to what level we can understand it, we have to ask then, what do we take away? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's awesome. Great. We'll see you next week. What do we take away from it? How does this apply practically to our lives today or tomorrow or next week or next month or next year? Well, there's a couple ways, I think, anyway. You may get something else, and if you do, please share it with me. I'll put it in my notes for when the day comes that I preach this again. But these are the three that I thought were the most important. It's what came to me. Question number one, is he your father? That's the most important and most vital question any of us will answer in our lives. Is he your father? Have you come to a saving faith in Jesus so that you know you are a child of the one true king and that you can now call God your father? So for everybody here, I think I pretty much know that answer, but maybe someone listening to the recording or someone on Facebook has a different answer. Maybe when I ask that question, it's, well, maybe he's not my father. I'm not sure. Be sure. Be sure. Because nobody's promised tomorrow. And I don't say that to try to scare you or anything like that. I say it because it's true. And the only way we can be sure of our eternity in his presence is if we know Jesus is Savior and we can call God our Father. And if the answer is yes, then I ask you this. Are you living your life every day in the knowledge of his unchanging love, of his perfect understanding of us? Because this brings freedom and help and hope in our lives. And I think many of us have this cursory knowledge that God is our Father. And I'm guilty of it too, so please. And I know I say this a lot, but I never point fingers. When I say this, I'm confronted with it. And you guys, you got to understand, I sit in my office and I sometimes go, Lord, I, I don't want to say that because it applies to me. And he goes, good, that's why you're going to say it. And I go, but, 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 and then he smacks me. He goes, just shut up and preach. Yes, sir. Because even though I will, I will tell you, well, of course God is my father. I, I know that I don't walk every day in the power that he provides. I know I don't live in the freedom and the hope that he's given me. I know that there are times when I doubt his love. And you say, oh, but didn't you say earlier you, you know without a doubt that he loves you? Well, sure I do. Sometimes I don't feel like it. Just being honest. And, and if you wake up and you spend every moment of every day relishing in the love of God, I'm jealous because I know there's times I miss it in my own life. I get angry about something or something frustrates me or, or I'm disappointed in something or whatever it might be and because I'm, I'm a bit of a moron I start looking at that and my eyes come off Jesus and I suffer the consequences. That in that moment or however long maybe it stretches out to many moments I am not walking in what's mine. And so that's a question for us to ask ourselves. 
Is he your father? And if so, do you spend your days basking in the amazing, incredible, and changing love that he offers us? My second question, do you understand the hope of heaven? And I like this one because it's not just some far-off, distant destination for Christians, but the reality of the all-powerful, all-loving, ever-present God and his kingdom dwelling in you by the Holy Spirit right here and right now. And understanding this, it changes the way we live. It upends our perspective when we know that this world is not our home, that everything here is temporary. It doesn't mean we don't enjoy this world. It doesn't mean we don't have goals in this world and we don't live our lives accordingly. But this, one day it's all going to burn. Like that, it's going to be gone and then he's going to create a new one. And all of this will be gone one day. Do we live our lives in the knowledge of eternity? That that is what's coming. That's what's ours here. And then we have hope for our future in that. There's a saying that used to float around the church that says, oh, some people are so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Ever heard that saying? It's stupid. Just, I'm going to throw that out there. It's a stupid saying, and this is why. Because to be heavenly minded is to have our minds focused on Jesus. And it's only when our minds are focused on him that we can do any good here whatsoever. And it's when our minds are focused on him that we have the right perspective about this world. Finally, is God's name, his person, character, reputation, identity, and being, is his name being set apart as holy in your life and as a result of the way you live? If so, awesome. Keep going. If not, why not? What needs to change? And that's between you and God. I can't answer that question for you. But if your life is not honoring his name, his person, character, reputation, identity, and being, then figure out by his grace and power what needs to change so that it can. I'm going to close this out with one more Philip Keller quote. The least movement on our part, feeble as it may seem, the least movement to honor and uplift his great name produces an immediate response of love in his great heart. We find ourselves engulfed by his sublime presence through his spirit. We discover our lives enriched by boundless blessings beyond our fondest hopes. This is just the way it is with our Father in heaven when his name is honored. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, our Savior. Thank you, God, that you are a Father in heaven, that your name can be honored in our lives, and I pray that it would be. I pray, God, that you would help each of us, each and every day, to dwell, to live in the light, in the knowledge, in the reality of eternity in us through your spirit and the power that you give us and the fact that we're your children and in all that you have prepared for us that we can't even imagine. Thank you, God, for your grace.
Thank you for your son. Thank you for your word. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored and exalted in our lives. In Jesus' name.